just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. The week's going well. We're headed into the weekend very shortly. That's always exciting. Having the family over on Sunday. Now, when you have a family with grown kids and such, and a holiday like Thanksgiving coming up, it's hard for these kids to go all the places they need to go, which I don't understand because when I was young and had kids that were young and had to go to my family's side, my wife's family's side. We bounced around all over the place, and frankly, it was a pain in the ass. Well, my wife is very sensitive to that, so she tries to work around the schedules, try to have our holidays on off dates, so there isn't that confusion on the actual date. So this Sunday, we're going to have what we refer to as Thanksgiving, but it won't be the traditional Thanksgiving. Everybody will get together, we'll talk about Thanksgiving, but the food we'll have will be something different than turkey. The important thing is the family gets together. Now, where we live, we have uh, an indoor pool, so the kids love it. Uh, They come to the party, they bring their swim trunks, they go swimming with mom and dad and cousins and all that stuff. I got my granddaughter coming. She's... uh, going to meet a lot of her second cousins for the first time, and they're all very excited to meet her because she's the newest one, the littlest and the cutest one. So that's going to be uh, fun to have that get-together. That's coming up this Sunday, the 21st. And then, of course, when uh, the Thanksgiving Day, the actual day happens, we'll go to a couple places. But the whole holiday event is spread out a little bit when you have kids that are married. I don't have to tell you this. You know all this. You're going through all this stuff. Uh, some parents, though, say, you got to be here on Thanksgiving. And then it's trouble for the kids because they got to be all over the place on the same day. And if it's snowing or there's some other problems, it's dangerous. Just not worth it. The important thing isn't what day we get together. The important thing is that we do get together and spend some time together. See, that's the other thing about having all the get-togethers on the same day. You might be able to get to see them, but the length of time you get to see them is so short. They're there for an hour. they got to go another place for an hour, then another place for an hour. When it comes down to it, as I say, it's all about getting together and spending time with family. And if I have to do that on a different date than the actual holiday, I'm in, man. It doesn't matter to me what date it is. And it doesn't matter what we're eating, whether it be pizza or submarine sandwiches or turkey or steak or whatever it is. I don't care. The fact that we all get together and get to spend time with one another after all this COVID bullshit and... uh, It's just nice that we'll be able to do that again. So that's what I'm looking forward to this weekend. Sunday's the day for us for a quasi-Thanksgiving. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on in the news. We should probably get right to it. Um, We know that the bipartisan infrastructure bill passed the House. The Senate was signed by Joe Biden. That is now law. That will start happening here anytime. That's going to do a lot of good things for this country and help 
build up our infrastructure, something that needed to be done decades ago. So that's a good thing. Now, in addition to that bipartisan infrastructure bill, the Build Back Better bill, which is a reconciliation bill, was supposed to accompany that. Ends up being separated out here. But uh, this bill needs to first pass the House and then the Senate. Now, people like Joe Manchin in the Senate and some of the people in the House were waiting for the CBO report. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's uh, the Congressional Budget Office. What they do is they go through the bill and see if all the numbers are right, how it matches up, what it's going to cost, where the money's going to come from, and that this bill will actually work. Now, this bill is $1.75 trillion, and uh, that's a lot of money. But it's going to do a lot of good, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So they were waiting for the CBO. Joe Manchin kept saying, I'm not voting for anything till the CBO comes out. Well, the fact of the matter is the Senate can't vote on anything until the CBO comes out, which it did today. And it uh, came out to be $1.7 trillion. So it's in line with what the budget on the bill is, and we're all good. That got people in the House of Representatives real excited, and they planned to do a vote for the Build Back Better bill in the House today. That was going to be done, and everybody assumes it's going to be a go because Nancy Pelosi doesn't put anything up for a vote unless she knows she's going to win. Well, that vote hasn't happened yet. (laughs) And you know why? Because Kevin fucking McCarthy. Now, don't worry. It's going to happen. It's just that Kevin McCarthy has to be a child about this and try to cause problems and be a stick in the mud or whatever you want to call him. Now, in the House of Representatives, any House member has the opportunity to speak, but generally it's limited to one minute. Now, leaders in the House can theoretically talk as long as they want. They don't have any limitations. So before the vote was going to come up, Kevin McCarthy steps up and he starts talking. And he talks. And he talks. As far as I know, I'm sitting at uh, midnight Central Standard Time. He may be still talking. And the whole point of this talk has nothing to do with the bill or anything in general. He's just talking in order to delay the vote on the bill, which is ironic because no Republican is probably going to vote for this. It's going to be mostly Democrats. The House has the majority in Democrats, and it's going to pass. That goes without saying. The House isn't the problem. But instead, Kevin McCarthy doesn't have enough problems with Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene, the insurrection and all the investigations. He's got to slow this down. Now, this is the Republican Party that didn't vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill and now is touting it and taking credit for it. This is exactly what they'll do when the Build Back Better bill gets passed. They'll start taking credit for it. But because it's more important for them to own the libs, as they say, Kevin McCarthy has to put on this little dog and pony show. I'm surprised he didn't come out in a tutu and some fucking tap shoes and do something. I mean, this guy's talked for three and a half hours, four hours, something like that, and I don't know if he stopped yet. So basically, 
the Democrats had to delay the vote probably tomorrow, maybe the next day, what have you, uh, because Kevin McCarthy wants to slow it down. Well, it's not going to work. It's not going to change anything. The bill is going to pass. Um, Kevin McCarthy just has to do this so he can look good in front of Donald Trump. That's all it's for. People in the Republican Party in the House of Representatives know what's up, know they're going to lose the vote. They should be voting for it because they're going to take credit for it. But instead, Kevin McCarthy wants to play this game. Okay, Kev, play this fucking game. But when you get that subpoena from the House Select Committee, we'll see how much talking you're willing to do, you stupid son of a bitch. So anyway, the bill will probably pass tomorrow, the next day, whatever. It's going to pass. But that doesn't mean it's a done deal. Because once it passes in the House, it now goes to the Senate. It has to pass the Senate. Because it's a reconciliation bill, they only need a simple majority, meaning 50 Democratic votes in the Senate and Vice President Kamala Harris breaking the tie. That's all that needs to be done. However, we do do know that we have Christian Cinema and Joe Manchin over there, that are going to make it more difficult. So what happens is the bill goes to the Senate, and Manchin and Cinema will say, well, I don't, I don't really like that, and we shouldn't have that. And they're going to try to adjust things in the bill. Now, most of the bill has been agreed upon, in theory, behind the scenes, including Joe Manchin. He now has the CBO score. He can't worry about that. That's in line. Now he's got to take a look at it and decide what he wants to take out or add or whatever the fuck he wants to do. But he's going to do something with it. So what they'll do is they'll change it, maybe a lot, maybe a little, and then they'll send it back to the House. The House will look at it and say, okay, that's cool. We'll vote for it. Then it's a done deal. But if they don't like what they see, they'll say, nah, that's not right. Here's, and then there'll be a little negotiation. They'll send it back and it'll go back and forth until it gets done. Now, I know the president and the Democrats have plans of before Christmas that this bill gets passed fully in the House and the Senate. And that seems relatively reasonable, given the fact they've been negotiating behind the scenes for a long time, I mean months. So hopefully that is true. The funny thing is, as much as the Republicans are against this thing, this doesn't imp- unprecedented amount of good for the people in this country. As they say, it's transitional for this country. It's the first time in decades and decades that our government has invested in the people, the middle class, to make things better, to make things easier. It's everything from prescription drugs all the way down to child care. There's one in particular in the prescription drugs that interests me mostly. There are a lot of people out there with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. They count on insulin. I have a niece who has type 1 diabetes, and she has to purchase the insulin, and it's expensive as hell. We're talking 1000 2000 a month. Now, it used to be much cheaper, but, of course, these fucking drug companies are greedy sons of bitches. They're godless, heartless people, and they charge these ridiculous amounts. And when they cost that much money and you can't afford it, well, you can die, but they don't seem to care. 
In this bill, assuming it passes and that part stays in, here's what happens. That 1000 or $2,000 a month drops down to $35 a month. If you're in need of insulin and you need it on an ongoing basis, you will now get as much insulin as you need for $35 a month. Certainly very easily affordable for most anybody in the country. Now that's a big deal for those folks that need insulin. And the fact of the matter is that, that just now our government is looking to help those people out is fucking abhorrent. Why wasn't this taken care of before? Now, there's other things in this bill that are going to be helpful. If you're young and you have young kids and you need child care, you know how expensive that shit is. I've got my son and daughter-in-law out looking for child care right now. Now, when I was doing it, it cost a lot of money for me at the time. And it was hard to afford, but it was unavoidable. Then you get to the point, do you have a good enough job where it justifies putting a kid in daycare? um, Or does it just wipe out your salary and you might as well keep them at home with you? You don't make any money, but all of it was going to go to daycare anyway. So at that point, you take people out of the workforce because they can't afford to work because the daycare too high. Now, what's going to happen in this situation If this bill passes, now daycare will be capped at 7% of somebody's income. So let's just say it's um, a family making, I don't know, $50,000. That's low, I know. But say it's $50,000 for example's sake. 7% of that would be $3,500 per year. So that's less than $300 a month for a kid, dramatically lower than what people are paying now. I've I've heard people's paying $1,000, $1,200 a month for daycare. How does anybody fucking afford that? I mean, that, for Christ's sake, is a mortgage payment to some people. And that's what people have to pay so they can go to work and do well for this country and pay taxes uh, and then have their kids well taken care of. You see, everybody thinks that giving people a break on child care is a handout. It is not a fucking handout. It makes this country more productive. More people can go to work. More people can spend money on other things, pay taxes, buy products. Now, let's be perfectly honest with you. The only way to make this economy good and grow is people buying stuff. And they can't do it if all the money goes to daycare. So by giving them this break, this not only helps the families, the young families, but this economy. The other thing that it uh, will do is put a cap on health care cost of 8%. Imagine that. Right now, right now, my wife and I pay I don't know, $1,200 a month for her and I because we're old, possibility of getting sick, those sorts of things. Well, at 8% of salary, now we're looking at, say you make $50,000 a year, 8% is now $4,000 a year. So we're looking at uh, at a monthly payment of your health care of $350, $375 a month. Well, that's dramatically different from $1,200 a month, don't you agree? 
And again, there's a lot of people who can't afford health care. And there's no reason that people in this country have to go broke or get sick and die because they can't afford health care. It happens nowhere else in this world in any major company or country. And it should not be happening here. It's fucking amazing what this government hasn't done for its people. It's also working, this bill will also have a pre-K plan so kids from 3 to 5 can go to preschool, which again helps with daycare costs. It also gets our kids a head start in their education. And that's important because we need more people educated in this country. We got a lot of dumb sons of bitches. Just look at the base that followed Donald Trump. They are some stupid motherfuckers. We need more intelligent, educated people in this country. And we have to start those kids off early. You get them into preschool at three or four years old, then they get to school, they'll flourish and do better. And then when they get out of school, they'll be more productive in this country. See, that's the thing. Everybody looks short term. Here's a handout. But what's the long run, long run of this situation? What's the long game? It makes this country better. It makes it better for our people. And it makes us more productive and successful down the road. Isn't that something we should do? But yet Kevin McCarthy's got to stand up and babble on about bullshit just so he can delay this vote. It's inevitable. It's going to pass in the House. It will go to the Senate. There may be some dicking around between the Senate and the House for a little bit, but ultimately it will pass. And when it does, it's going to have a significant effect on people. And it's going to change people's opinions of what the Democrats and Joe Biden are doing. And the Republicans know it, and they are not happy about it. Nobody, no Republican or Democrat in my lifetime has done this much for the middle class. So when they do it, when they accomplish it, and people start realizing the effects of it, it's going to change a lot of things. It's going to make people's lives easier, and it's going to change people's perception of the Democrats and Joe Biden, which will help them in 2022. So it's all very interesting what's going on. Nobody can just say, hey, let's help those people and let's get it pushed through and get it done. No, the Republicans have to be obstructionist. Keep in mind, since Donald Trump went in office, what have the Republicans accomplished? One thing, one thing only. They passed a big tax cut, and that tax cut mostly went to the rich. And the middle class got crumbs, but only for a limited amount of time, and that has been taken away now. These fucking people are obstructionists. The fact of the matter is, they're in their jobs to serve us and serve this country, to help us, to find answers to problems. But they have refused to do that. Why anybody would vote for a Republican when they refuse to do anything for you and accept pay of $175,000 a year and be able to parlay their position into millions and millions of dollars. Joe Manchin is worried about money, yet he goes home to a $750,000 yacht and drives there in a $200,000 Maserati. That doesn't fucking make you sick. I don't know what would. 
So anyway, this bill is going to pass. It's been slowed down because Kevin McCarthy is a dick. And uh, he'll get his because he's got to answer for the insurrection sometime soon. All right, we got a bunch more stuff to talk about. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. All right, I just wanted to make a comment, too. November 18th was my one-year anniversary on TikTok. The whole point of TikTok was try to build a following and then ultimately do the podcast. Didn't know what I was doing when I started TikTok. A lot of people told me that's bullshit. Don't do it. You're too old for that shit. But as I've told you before, I don't listen to shit. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Well, after being on TikTok for a year, It's gone pretty well in spite of the fact that I'm just an old guy sitting in a chair talking whatever's in his mind. I was able to get up over 100,000 followers, close to 3 million likes, and it's gone pretty well. I've enjoyed it immensely. It's given me an outlet. It's keeping my mind working. And uh, a year's up, and here we are. And, of course, now we have the podcast, and the audience is continuing to grow there. This is my ultimate goal. I've told you this story before. When I retired from my job, my last job in radio, the reason I did that at a moment's notice, (laughs) I did it on the fly because this radio station had been pushing out older people that worked there because they made too much money. And then they did it to me. And I got pissed off about the way they were doing it, the way they were lying and doing everything they could to undermine me after 27 years of helping to make them a lot of money. I said, fuck it, I'm retiring. But the reason I'm so proud of TikTok and the podcast is because when I left there, I'm looking at this manager. He's a millennial. He's stupid. The only thing worse than his level of talent on the air was his level of intelligence. He didn't have much. But, you know, he's one of these guys that's a power freak, and he's been given the duty to push the old people out. I told this guy before I left, and I honestly did said a lot of things that made him angry, and I loved every minute of it, because it didn't matter. I was retiring at that moment. I said, look, dipshit, you don't know how to run a radio station. You don't get the kind of audience you should get with this radio station because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Mark my words, I'm going to do something online with regards to audio or video. And in short order, I am going to have more viewers, more listeners than you have on this entire radio station. He kind of smirked at me because he didn't think that was possible. But somehow I knew it was possible. Maybe I didn't. (laughs) Maybe it was me just talking shit. But you know what? A year after being on TikTok and with the podcast, I have way more listeners than that fucking radio station ever did. So that guy, that station, can fuck the right off. (laughs) What does that mean? Fuck right off is what I meant to say. But you know what I mean. 
These people take advantage of these older employees, and they think they can do anything. They think they're smart. Well, how smart are you? I'm here on the Internet, TikTok of all things, and a podcast, and I've got more listeners than you motherfuckers do. (laughs) So that's why I'm proud of myself. We had a lot of legal things going on, trials and such. Uh, we have this trial with Ahmed, Arbor, uh, Ahmed Aubrey's murder. Let me explain to you what happened. This went down in Georgia, of all places. This gentleman, Ahmed Aubrey, was jogging through a neighborhood. And apparently there was some crime or something earlier. But he's just jogging. He's not a criminal. He's not armed. He's nothing. He's just jogging through the community. And then you get a truckload of three white fucking hoonyak idiots that see this black man running in the neighborhood. So they think to themselves, you know what? We're going to make a citizen's arrest. They didn't know if he was involved in the crime or not. All they saw was black guy running must be guilty. So they pull up on him and they stop him. And all the while, uh, Aubrey's trying to get away because he sees what the situation is. Three white guys, two of them armed, one with a shotgun, one with a three fifty seven pistol, and he's in Georgia. So he realizes he's in trouble, and he's still trying to get away. Well, one of these guys, a gentleman by the name of Travis McMichael, the king of the Hunyaks, <laughs> in this group, gets out of the car with his shotgun, points the shotgun at Ahmed Aubrey, shoots him, and kills him. Well, needless to say, this was on video, and needless to say, this McMichael guy and the two other people now have to go to court. They're on trial for murder. But what do they suggest when they go there? What is their defense? Well, their defense is, Well, it was self-defense. We were in a life-and-death situation. Really? You got a guy running away from you. He's not armed. When you do catch up with him, he's still trying to get away from you. You come out, shoot an unarmed man with a gun. Now, McMichael did say at one point, well, he tried to grab my gun. But then later, when the prosecution was talking to him, he said, "Ah, you know, I'm not sure he grabbed my gun. That was the only hope to make it look like this Aubrey was attacking them. But it turns out he wasn't grabbing the gun. All he was trying to do was get away. Now, how can that be a life and death situation? How can that be self-defense? The guy's running away. He doesn't have a weapon. They catch up with him. He's still trying to get away but they shoot him and kill him. Where is the life-threatening situation there? There isn't one. It's a fucking lame attempt for these racist pieces of shit to shoot anybody on the street just because of their color of their skin. But now they want to get out of it. They're not the tough guys anymore. Oh, I was so scared. I had to shoot him. Well, you're in trouble, motherfucker, because they put Travis McMichael, the shooter, on the stand. It's never a good idea to put a defendant on the stand. There's two reasons why you do that. Either you think you got a slam dunk and it's no problem, or you think you have no fucking chance at all 
and might as well try it just in case. Well, Travis McMichael was a horrible failure on the stand. He made himself look more guilty. And uh, it's trouble for these clowns. Now, again, we're in Georgia. We have no idea what the jury's about there. The judge in this case seems to be decent and legitimate and have some credibility, unlike what's going on with Kyle Rittenhouse. But now the uh, defense has rested. The prosecution has already, already pled their case. So now what's going to happen is there'll be final arguments on Monday, and then it will go to the jury. And there's no telling how long it will go with the jury. But there's no two ways about this. This is an open and shut case. The guy murdered an innocent man, an innocent black man. He needs to be convicted and sent away to jail for a long time. Now, the other two have to be accessories. They didn't shoot Ahmed Arbery, but they were part of this whole fucking deal, stopping him for no reason. And they will likely get some jail time, too. Now, when this all shakes out, when the verdict comes in, you got two problems. If he gets convicted, you might see some white supremacists out there screaming, yelling, and going crazy, and there might be some violence. But if they find him innocent, the Democrats, the liberals, Black Lives Matter, they're going to be angry, and there could be some violence then too. And I can almost say it's justified. How can you take somebody who very clearly murdered somebody and let him off? We're not sure how this is all going to happen in the end, what's going to happen. So we'll be all waiting with bated breath next week, uh, assuming the jury decides within the week uh, as to what the verdict's going to be. For my money, for what I've seen on videotape and what I've heard in the testimony, there's no question. Travis McMichael is a murderer. He should be treated as such. The other two were accessories to murder. They should be treated as such, and they all should do a fair amount of jail time, a lot of jail time. Now, there was kind of another ridiculous situation that happened. This has been an ongoing thing, and there's been a lot of protest about it. In 1999, Edmond, Oklahoma, a gentleman by the name of uh, Julius Jones was convicted of murdering Paul, Paul Howell. And Julius Jones was condemned to death. He got the death sentence. Now, this happened 22 years ago. And he's been in jail ever since and been on death row. Now, the, the, the attorneys for Julius Jones have said there was a lot of problems with that court case. A lot of things that weren't right. So there should be uh, another court case to retry this thing. But the guy's on fucking death row. Well, just recently, the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board recommended to the governor, Kevin Stitt, that they should commute the death sentence and relook at the case. Because even the Pardon and Parole Board have seen some inconsistencies or some problems with the original court case. This is in Oklahoma, remember. 
So this black man gets convicted of killing a white businessman, and now they're telling us that that court case might have been flawed. (laughs) Oh, big surprise. It's in fucking Oklahoma, and he's a black man. Of course it was flawed. But here's the thing. The parole board makes this recommendation to Governor Kevin Stitt. Says you got to commute the life or the uh, death sentence because we got to really look at this. So Governor Kevin Stitt, a few months ago, gets this directive from the parole and uh, pardon board. And he says, "Ah, you know what? I'm really busy right now. I've got other things to address. I'll get to it when I get to it. A guy's life is on the line. The guy might be innocent, but he's too busy to look at it and sign a piece of paper commuting the death penalty. He doesn't do it. Now, he's been getting heat over it. There's tons of protest for the last three months or more. We get down to Thursday, four hours before Julius Jones is scheduled to be executed. Four hours. He's been in jail 22 years. They've asked to commute the uh, death sentence three or four months ago. And all that time, Julius Jones and his family have been struggling and straining with the prospect that Julius Jones would be executed today, Thursday, the day I'm recording this. Nothing is done. And then at the last minute, Four hours away from the execution, the judge says, ah, okay, I'll give you some clemency, takes him off of death row. Instead, he gives him a um, life sentence without possibility of parole. Now, the parole and pardon board said he should get a life sentence with the possibility of parole, but Kevin Stitt apparently didn't have enough time to think about it, and he did it life sentence without parole. Now, of course, people are relieved and excited about this, uh, but don't don't make Kevin Stitt, this fucked up governor, any kind of hero, because what he did was cruel and unusual punishment. Should be illegal. I doubt it is, but it should be. He basically could have acted on this four months ago and taken the pressure off the family and Julius Jones, but instead he waited till four hours before he's going to be executed and then gives him clemency. As much as I'm glad that he got the clemency, that he won't be uh, executed, why did this fucking governor have to wait four months and leave these people hanging, leave the people who support uh, Julius Jones, his family and such, and have been protesting and fighting against this. Why did it take till four hours before the execution before he acted? Now, mind you, Kevin Stitt, this fucking piece of shit governor, didn't do it because he has any feelings for Julius Jones or his family. To me, it seems like he just wanted to punish them more by making them hang by a thread here up until the last minute before the execution. Now, Kevin Stitt didn't change his mind and offer clemency because of the family or Julius Jones. He did it because he's already gotten tons of pressure. And if he didn't do anything on this after Julius Jones would be executed, 
there'd be a lot of questions as, why didn't you have time to do this? Why didn't you fucking say something? And he's going to get a lot of heat. So the reason he offered this clemency is to save his own ass. And that's why Kevin Stitt, governor of Oklahoma, is a piece of shit. If you voted for him, you need to think again next time he comes up for election. Now, let's talk about the House Select Committee. We know that they subpoenaed Steve Bannon. Bannon refused to come. We took a while, but they referred him to the Department of Justice to be charged with criminal contempt of Congress. It took forever. People were upset about it. But finally, Merrick Garland and the DOJ did charge him. They brought him in. He, he surrendered, I guess. Um, charged him, took away his passport, offered him some more restrictions, and uh, they're sending him to court, grand jury and then court, to charge him with this crime. Now, this crime shouldn't be up for debate. It's very simple. They sent a subpoena. He didn't show up for the subpoena. The charge is about not showing up for a subpoena. There's not a lot of not a lot of play in this thing. You know, he did it, and it's clear, so he should be convicted. Now, he's got two charges. He could get up to two years in prison and a couple of hundred thousand dollars in fines. It could be less than that, too. But the bottom line is he needs to be held accountable. Now, he's still out there yakking on podcasts and talking shit and saying crazy shit, but nobody cares because Steve Bannon is done. His life is over. He's not going to be a factor in politics again once this uh, conviction is completed. But here's the thing. We've got uh, Mark Meadows, who was the chief of staff under Donald Trump. He's been subpoenaed, and he's refused to do it. And uh, he claims executive privilege. We've talked about that a million times. He has no executive privilege because his daddy, Joe Biden, says he doesn't. Joe Biden is the only person that can exert executive privilege, not dumb fuck diaper Donnie. He's got no power to do that. He can ask Joe Biden to do it. He can ask his daddy to do it. But daddy says, fuck you, Donald Trump. We're going to do it my way. So anyway, Mark Meadows doesn't show up. Now he's watching Steve Bannon actually getting charged and ultimately going on trial for criminal contempt of Congress. Presumably that's going to encourage some of the lower level people not to dick around, just go and testify and do what you're supposed to do. But Mark Meadows is still balking at it. And it looks like now the House Select Committee is getting a little irritated. They've given him as much leeway as they can possibly do. And he still refuses to do it. So coming up very shortly, I would suspect that you're going to see that he is referred to the DOJ for criminal contempt of court. Now, we'll see how brave Mark Meadows is when he's actually going to face criminal charges. Because I got to tell you, you get a felony, that's going to limit your job prospects in the U.S. government. Not to mention whatever time you spend in jail. So what I'm saying is probably next week if Mark Meadows doesn't fold and come in and testify, there's an excellent chance that they're going to refer him to the DOJ for the criminal contempt charge. And then we'll see 
how he reacts to that. And we'll also see how the other people that are waiting this out and refusing to show up, see if that greases the wheels for them at all. I have a feeling it might. The House Select Committee is continuing to do what they do, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, I just wanted to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse real quickly. Of course, that trial is just about over. Kyle Rittenhouse jury is in deliberation. They're looking at videos, asking questions. They've been deliberating for three or four days. Um, And to be perfectly honest with you, the longer it goes, maybe a little worse for Kyle Rittenhouse. That's my guess. But we're waiting for that uh, verdict to come out. There was a little drama in the courtroom today as the judge spoke up and got everybody together in the courtroom for an emergency meeting, if you will. And in this meeting, in front of the cameras, Judge uh, Schrader said that he is banning the cable news network MSNBC from being in the court building at all. MSNBC can't come in there. And the reason is, apparently, there was... um, They're calling him a freelancer. I don't know if he was an employee of uh, MSNBC, but he claimed to be working in conjunction with MSNBC. He went through a stoplight or something and was pulled over, and apparently what he had been doing is following the the van with the jury members in it. And, of course, that's a no-no. You don't expose the jury. You don't try to take pictures of them. You don't do any of that bullshit. Now, there's no indication that he did those things, but he was pulled over for a traffic violation. He was given a ticket, and then, of course, the judge was informed that this guy was following the jury van. Now, we don't know if he was or not, but if he was doing that as a freelancer, he's a fucking piece of shit. That is a bridge too far. I don't care if he works for the liberal media, the far-right media, or whoever. You don't do that. That's highly unethical and very dangerous for the jurors. So MSNBC can't go in the courtroom for the remainder of the trial. Uh, This guy, all he can really have happen to him is this traffic ticket. But MSNBC looks bad, and... uh, They can't do the coverage that they've been doing with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Now, hopefully, this verdict will come down fairly shortly. I'm assuming it will. I mean, there's only so much to cover. Kyle Rittenhouse was a 17-year-old kid with a gun he shouldn't have, protecting a, a business that he didn't own in a town he didn't live in. He ends up shooting two people. Again, that's pretty cut and dried. But one of the things I'm concerned with, like I am with the uh, Ahmed Aubrey case, is that no matter what happens, there's likely to be some trouble in Kenosha and maybe other parts of the country. We know right now there's protest and arguments with the pro-Kyle Rittenhouse and the con-Kyle uh, Rittenhouse people outside the court. And uh, if Kyle Rittenhouse is found guilty you're going to see a lot of white supremacists that are pissed off. If you find that he gets away with it and he's found not guilty, then the liberal crowds and the protesters are going to get angry. 
It almost seems inevitable that no matter what happens, we could see some protesting, maybe some rioting, and maybe even some violence. Hopefully, that's not the case, but uh, people are pretty heated about this on both sides, and that's not a good recipe for a quiet outcome. We saw what happened with, uh, with uh, George Floyd. That not only was bad in Minneapolis, it spread throughout the country. And something like this could have the same effect. You remember the Rodney King thing in California and the kind of problems that caused when those police officers got off, even though there was video showing that they beat this guy almost to death. We might be looking at a similar situation with Kyle Rittenhouse, depending on how the verdict comes out. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. And the last thing I want to talk about, we know about the insurrection on January 6th. We know the House Select Committee is investigating it, and there's some question as to whether the Trump family, the Trump administration, was involved in the planning of the insurrection and the coordinating of the insurrection. Well, there's a lot of evidence that would suggest they are. There are people in Congress that are probably going to be pulled out onto the carpet because they helped these people plan it. They gave them tours. They made calls. They helped them all along the way. These people should end up being expelled from Congress without question. But if there was any question in your mind whether or not the Trumps had anything to do with the insurrection, here's something interesting. The publication ProPublica reports that Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is a former reporter on the Fox News Network, apparently raised over $3 million for this event on January 6th, getting the people there, putting together all the things needed to have them there. Apparently, Kimberly Guilfoyle somehow fundraised over $3 million to help them. Well, if the Trump organization or even the Trump family funds a fucking insurrection, that's a sure explanation as to them being involved in the insurrection prior to it happening. Now, of course, Kimberly Guilfoyle says, no, I didn't do that. But the problem for her is there's always a paper trail. And what do they say? Follow the money. And whenever there's money involved, it always heads back to Trump, whether he stole it, spent it, or grifted it. It all leads back to Donald Trump, and he's far too stupid to fucking cover it up. So this is going to be an interesting investigation. If we found out that Kimberly Guilfoyle did, in fact, raise $3 million, gave it to the insurrectionists to help them out to do whatever they were going to do on January 6th, you got to think she's culpable. And if she's culpable and tied to the Trump organization, you got to believe they had something to do with it prior to the event. And if they had something to do with it prior to the event, then they are fucking guilty and they should be accountable for their misdeeds on and before January 6th. All right, we're going to wrap things up for yet another Rational Boomer podcast. Remember, if you have questions, comments, complaints, feel free to email me directly at rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm.
look for the Rational Boomer podcast, you can leave me a voicemail message. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, We'll be talking again tomorrow. So have yourself a great day. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.